0: Welcome to episode 25 of the Non-Anxious Leader Podcast. I'm Jack Shatama, and today we are going to look at the positive consequences of pain. In 2014, researchers Brock Bastian, Yolanda Yetten, Matthew Hornsey, and Siri Lechness published an article titled, The Positive Consequences of Pain. This was in Personality and Social Psychology Review. In it, they argue that although people generally seek to maximize pleasure and minimize pain, in certain cases, pain can actually be beneficial. Further, since we are regularly exposed to pain, avoiding pain altogether prevents us from developing tools to make sense of and understand pain. Now, they were talking about physical pain, but I think we can make the analogy to emotional pain, and that's what I am going to do today. I've mentioned before that Edwin Friedman said that he was on the side of pain, not comfort. His point is similar to that of the researchers. Friedman was speaking in the context of therapy. He believed that pain avoidance stunted emotional growth and that engaging emotional pain was the pathway to better functioning. No pain, no gain. One positive consequence of pain is that it can be pleasurable. For example, the runner's high is the body's response to intense exercise. It's a natural release of opioids in response to the pain of working the body hard. As a runner, I get this. If I go several days without running, I start to feel out of sorts. I'm also willing to put up with the soreness that comes from regular running because of the overall improvement in my life. I sleep better. I have more energy when I run regularly. So not only do I get the runner's high, but I feel better spiritually and emotionally even as I endure some mild suffering physically. Another positive consequence of pain is that it can increase one's capacity to tolerate pain. This is certainly true for running and other forms of exercise. Running a half marathon requires training, but it also requires the ability to tolerate pain. My experience in running a marathon is that the so-called wall is a reality. This is the point at about 20 to 22 miles of a 26 mile race where you just physically can't go on anymore. You feel like you are just done and runners will tell you that this is a reality and so getting through it is more mental than physical. Your body can keep going but your mind has to be willing to endure the pain and go through the pain. The more pain you learn to endure, the more pain you're able to endure in the future. This is true with intense exercise and it's true with emotional pain. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. The analogy of exercise or intense exercise and learning to embrace the pain of it to emotional pain is significant. When we learn to embrace emotional pain, not avoid it, we increase our own pain threshold. This is important. Family systems theory tells us that we can't make another person responsible. In fact, the very act of trying to make them responsible takes away the responsibility. The way to make someone else responsible is to allow them to experience the consequences of their actions. That is, to avoid taking away their pain by rushing in to help. When we increase our own threshold for emotional pain, we also increase our own tolerance for the pain of others. But differently, when we increase our own pain tolerance, we become more self-differentiated. We are less likely to be swayed by surrounding togetherness pressure because we are not as likely to be influenced by the fear of disappointing others. We realize that if we are disappointed that is their issue. We have a higher tolerance for their pain, so we are less likely to bury our own feelings to spare theirs. When I first entered pastoral ministry I was a student pastor. I was attending seminary, but I was also the pastor of a small church. I was married with three young children and a fourth on the way. So needless to say, life was busy. I'm out. About midway through my first year, the person who had been doing the monthly church newsletter for years decided to resign. Nobody stepped up immediately to do it. We asked around and put announcements in the bulletin, but nobody volunteered. People started saying to me, boy, we sure missed the newsletter, or people are saying they sure missed the newsletter. By the way, when you hear people are saying, run, this is surrounding togetherness pressure. So the surrounding togetherness pressure in the church was at work. Everybody wanted to have a newsletter, but nobody wanted to do it. There were not so subtle hints that they wanted me to bail them out. Fortunately, I saw the newsletter as their responsibility. I wasn't trying to be self differentiated. I just didn't have the capacity for taking something like that on. So by default, I was able to increase my threshold for their pain. I was able to respond to their statements with something like, I missed the newsletter too. This enabled me to take responsibility for my own position, I missed the newsletter, while staying connected to them emotionally and not trying to relieve them of their pain. After about six months of this, two people in the congregation decided that they would work together to do the newsletter. One would collect the content, the other would do the layout. This was a positive result from not sparing the congregation from their own pain of not having a newsletter. One can only wonder what would have happened if I would have stepped in to bail them out and would have done the newsletter myself. Another positive consequence of pain is an increased ability to regulate emotions. When we experience pain, our primitive fight-or-flight response kicks in which increases our cognitive control so that we can respond to the threat. This increases our capacity to control our own emotions. What's interesting is the researchers distinguish between acute and chronic pain. Acute pain is intense, but short-term. Chronic pain may or may not be intense, but it is ongoing. Only acute pain increases our cognitive control. It's a shock to our system and we respond. It's in that response that we build our capacity to deal with pain. Back to the runner analogy. The pain that a runner experiences at the end of a long run is short-lived. Once it's over, the body starts to recover, but the acute pain of running builds greater capacity to endure pain in the future. On the other hand, chronic pain reduces our capacity to regulate emotions. It wears us down. A fight or flight response is short term and we can't sustain that kind of intense response, so over time our capacity to regulate emotions can actually deteriorate. The analogy to emotional pain is clear. Chronic emotional pain or anxiety can be debilitating. The most likely emotional response is to ignore it, then to displace it somewhere else by triangling. So if I'm unable to deal with the pain of a broken relationship that goes on and on in my family of origin, I will unleash the pain by criticizing, that is, triangling someone else. Let's say my pastor. This is clearly not ideal, but it is a coping mechanism that can help me avoid pain for a long time. If my pastor is self-differentiated and she doesn't get reactive to my anxiety, but instead she remains a non-anxious presence, then I will stop triangling her. Why? Because I am picking a fight to deal with my pain. The fight helps me to avoid my own emotions by displacing my hurt or anger on my pastor. If she doesn't give me that fight, then I'll go looking for a fight somewhere else. Perhaps the lay leader will be next. Conversely, if I decided that I am willing to deal with the acute pain of dealing directly with the broken relationship, then I have the opportunity to build my capacity for emotional pain. If I can address the relationship in a self-differentiated way, I have the opportunity to relieve the pain entirely. By dealing with it directly, there is the possibility for resolving it. It's important to understand that the effect of this is on us, not necessarily the other. For example, I might reach out to the other and ask forgiveness, offer forgiveness, or do both. I might share my feelings honestly without blaming. This is self-differentiation. It's owning your own feelings and values without requiring the other to agree. There might be reconciliation, but perhaps not. I can't control that but by leaning into the acute pain of dealing directly with the broken relationship, I increase my own emotional capacity. This is why it's possible to resolve a relationship with a person who has passed away. I know of one woman who realized that she had a lot of unresolved anger toward her deceased father. She wrote him a letter, then sat face to face with another person and role-played the interaction. She read the letter, imagining the other to be her father. The effect was clearly not on her father, it was on herself. In being willing to deal directly with the short-term pain that occurs in our relationships, we increase our capacity to regulate emotions. We become less reactive to the pain that surprises us and are better able to find a way to handle it appropriately. This is what it means to become more self-differentiated. Another analogy to emotional pain comes when we look at the fight or flight response itself. When someone anxiously attacks us, our typical response is fight or flight. Either we get defensive and fight back, or we just take it and don't stand up for ourselves. That's the flight part. The former is called reactivity, we're reacting and fighting back. And the latter is called adaptivity, we don't stand up for ourselves and just take it. Neither is good. One gives others the fight they are looking for and that will perpetuate the anxiety. The other just gives in. Both reactivity and adaptivity will perpetuate the anxiety in the system, not reduce it. Interestingly, one of the best responses to physical pain is a form of mindfulness or meditation to reduce the sensation of pain. It's counterintuitive in that it focuses on the pain without judgment to reduce the sensation of pain. It's neither fight nor flight, but merely acceptance. Likewise, there is a counterintuitive response to being anxiously attacked that is neither fight nor flight. It's being a non-anxious presence. In this case, you can accept the other person's position without judgment. You don't fight, that is, don't argue and don't get defensive, and you don't agree. Instead of being adaptive, instead of giving in, you stay connected emotionally without giving in. I'll focus next week's episode on how to do that. In their conclusions, the researchers write, Pain has many qualities, but its sheer aversiveness has eclipsed other perspectives on pain. The common assumption that people seek to maximize pleasure and minimize pain is mostly true. We argue, however, that engaging with some pain may be an important pathway toward realizing a range of beneficial outcomes. Moreover, some of these outcomes may never be fully realized through a focus on pleasure alone. In this way, we provide a different perspective on how pain is evaluated and represented. People are regularly exposed to pain, however, and viewing pain as exclusively aversive provides few tools to make sense of and understand pain. I agree with the researchers. Even though they are referring to physical pain, which was the nature of their research, it's clear to me that this applies to emotional pain. Pain is not something to be avoided. It's a part of life. When we engage it, even embrace it, we grow as persons. No pain, no gain. So that's it for this week's episode. As I mentioned, next week I'm going to look at how we actually respond to being anxiously attacked by not arguing and not agreeing. I will put a link to the article that the researchers have on the positive consequences of pain in the show notes. You can find that at thenonanxiousleader.com forward slash 25. And you can also subscribe to my blog there. When you subscribe to my blog, you'll get a blog post every other week. You'll get a weekly email with two recommendations on things that I have felt Are helpful as a leader and in that way you'll get my email address if you want to correspond with me directly. So until next time, thanks and goodbye. Thank you for listening. If you found this episode helpful there are two things you can do to help others find this podcast. First, tap the subscribe button on your podcast app and second, leave a review. I appreciate your help. Finally, you can find more resources as well as subscribe to my blog at the non Now, go be yourself.